Well, there are two parts of the beginning of the Joy Luck Club, the writing of it. One was that I decided I wanted to write short stories just to do something that mattered to me in the way of an art form. At first, I wrote something that was so different from my life about a, a girl from a different family. Father was a professor at MIT, and the mother was a, a well-to-do, rather bored housewife. And the more I tried to get away from what was genuine in my life, the worse off the stories were. And finally, when I decided no one was going to ever read my stories, I started writing them from a, a point of view that was closer to my actual life. And lo and behold, those stories became meaningful to me. You know, that was the great discovery, is that if you write something from your heart, even though it's fictional, it provides that meaning that we all want. The other genesis is that as I discovered that, I took a huge interest in writing these stories derived, inspired actually from my life, from my mother's life, and to write them from the point of view from, of my mother. And when I did that, I found myself trying to write in her voice, and I could hear her voice so clearly and the kind of things she, that she was trying to tell me all these years. I still fictionalized them, but what I tried to capture was her voice and her intention and her hopes. And then the stories became so important to me that I just wrote what I felt That was author Amy Tan talking about the genesis of her book, The Joy Luck Club. Welcome to Artworks, the program that goes behind the scenes with some of the nation's great artists to explore how art works. I'm your host, Josephine Reed. Written in 1989, The Joy Luck Club is a series of interconnected stories about Chinese mothers and their Chinese-American daughters. Amy Tan has written other very successful books, including The Kitchen God's Wife and The Bonesetter's Daughter. But none have captured the public imagination like the Joy Luck Club, with its struggles of parents and children attempting to communicate across generations and cultures. In fact, the Joy Luck Club was chosen as a selection for the NEA's literary program, The Big Read, and it remains one of its most popular titles. I spoke with Amy Tan at length about the Joy Luck Club, her mother, and her writing. Here's our conversation. The Joy Luck Club is at once so distinctly Chinese, so uniquely American, and at the same time, universal. I hear my friend's mother, who's a Russian Jew, in the voice of your mother. My stories weren't just so much Chinese to me. They were so much just me and my family. I thought no one else would have a family this strange or having these kind of conflicts. And that I also expected a bunch of, if if there were any readers, if there were any readers who were Chinese, Chinese-American, they'd say, well, that's not how Chinese families are at all, um, let alone, you know, other people saying that this mirrored anything about their lives. I imagine them doing a, some kind of spin on it being these are stories that are exotic um, glimpses into an unusual family. So you can imagine how surprising it was to me to find that it wasn't just 
Chinese-American families or people who came to me and said, this is so much like our relationship. It was all these other people. Then, of course, you know, I felt that I had not written anything original. (laughs) But I, I, you know, I still maintain that our stories are very specific. Our stories have our own details and circumstances. And the unusual thing is that when you find a personal truth, you often also find that people share a similar personal truth. They may have come about it in a different way, and their circumstances are different. But we all have intentions for people and people we love, and we all have hopes, and we all have secrets, and we are all misunderstood. Well, I think the paradox is it's in the very specificity that that one finds the universal. That is so surprising to me. I mean, people would say, yes, you know, at our neighbor's or our family house, you know, somebody's table was greasy all the time. Or, you know, our our relatives also kept the plastic on top of the lampshade. And, you know, it was these funny little details that people would tell me. And I think, oh, you know, we're we're so much alike in uh, in these very humorous ways. And also ways that are, are terrible and damaging. There were so many people who told me there were secrets in their families, and by not telling what those secrets were, they had done some kind of harm. Uh, there was harm in people not knowing enough information that these were the basis of those fears and the kind of warnings that were told that that the children would reject wholesale reject because it seemed to come out of nowhere. And in that sense, you know, the the damage was done because they, in not understanding one another, they rejected one another. Your relationship with your mother uh, certainly informs the Joy Luck Club. There was a lot of love and also a lot of anger. And you once said that you wrote the stories to help explain to your mother all of the disagreements that you had with her. In later years or in later chapters, I realized that it would have that effect. And in writing in her voice, I would be able to show her that I had been listening at one level and and most of all that I understood now what she had done in terms of um, the kind of love that she had. It wasn't the kind of love that I wanted, which were expressions of, I love you, um, you know, have a great day at school. Of course, you got to be, you know, the teacher didn't understand. And, you know, here's a big hug. I didn't get that kind of love. You know, it was is those things that are symbolic. Um, I got another kind that was um, worrying all the time. You know, don't, don't let this happen to you because you're going to die and it'll be horrible. You'll lose your eye or, you, you know, horrible things. And you, I'd want to say, you know, why are you telling me these things? This is so negative. I would imagine in my, my mind that I should have had a mother who just hugged me and said she loved me all the time and told me positive things, told me how beautiful I was and you know, that I was smart and and if I got anything less than what I deserved, that it was un, unjust. Well, you know, what was interesting to me as I was reading the book, I was also wondering if in those stories, if that didn't also spur your imagination in some way. 
actually getting bees or not fulfilling people's expectations did spur imagination. It made me imagine what it was that I could do or in what world would it be in which I could um, satisfy those. And it went beyond that. It then went into trying to imagine why a parent, why somebody would have such high expectations and would then say, um, this is not enough. Uh, I believe you can do more. Um, I could just see it as they're always comparing me to somebody else, and I'll never, I'll never be a genius. I'll never be Einstein or Van Cliburn or anything like that. It's not to say uh, that's good parenting skills, you know, to make your child feel inadequate. But then I could understand where it came from. The morbid uh, aspects of my mother's warnings. Yes, they did, in fact, inspire my imagination. But it inspired in the same way I would say very grim fairy tales did. I mean, grim, you know, the brothers grim. They they were very inspiring to me. My mother um, had this technique that I found was something also common in other Chinese parents from a more traditional background, and that is that if you give an imagery with a warning, the child is likely to remember it more than if you just said, be careful crossing the street. My mother would say, you know, if you're not careful, a car come by, smash you flat, you know, just like this sand-up, you know, it'd be in the grocery, just like this stand-up, you know, totally flat, and you have both your eyes on one side of your head, and, you know, you can't stop thinking of that. You know, I remember that the rest of my life. And there were other things that I realized derived from her life in which she were, she had married a man she barely knew on the basis of what her family thought she should do, and it ruined her life. So she would always be telling me about bad men. And I had no idea what she was talking about. Uh, you know, but I would imagine bad men, bad men in the basement, bad men around the corner. And it, it's it's amazing in a way that I've been with the same good man for the last um, 38 years. Well, like one of the mothers in your book, The Joy Luck Club, your mother left two daughters behind in China. How did you first find out about that? She actually left three daughters behind. You know, my mother's memory and my memory of that were different. She remembered telling me at one point, telling my brothers and me, and, and she recalls telling me when she first received a letter from China telling her that her daughters were there and they had found her and they wanted to communicate with her and that she gathered the three of us, my older brother, my younger brother, and me around and, and very solemnly told us this story. It must have been that we didn't want to hear it or we didn't believe it because she said the next thing we said was, can we go out and play now? The way I remembered it is that she and I were having a terrible fight, and it was during the time that my brother and father were dying. And she couldn't understand why I didn't want to become a better daughter, why I was wanting to go out and have a good time, why I had crushes on boys. She wanted me to sit around and cry with her all day long. And when I didn't do that out of frustration one day, she started yelling. And, um, and in my mind, and it probably didn't happen this way, in my memory, she was saying things like, why didn't I have a better daughter, I have these other daughters. And she was talking about them and how good they were. And and suddenly I felt very 
threatened, you know, rejected. And I imagine these other girls that they they would have been good. They would have been grateful, and they would have obeyed her, and they would have cried just because she said for them to cry. And and not only that, that she they could speak Chinese, and you know, and that she had regretted leaving them and regretted having me. Of course, that probably wasn't the case that um, she felt that way, or me. You know, maybe she did from time to time, but it could be that she. She mentioned something about that at the time, but my recollection, it was the first time that I heard her say this. Well, this this is fitting with what one reviewer said about the Joy Luck Club. And she wrote, these mothers are finding out that trying to talk to their daughters is like trying to plug a foreign appliance into an American outlet. <laughs> I, I like that. I, I like too. that imagery. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, you have the two-pronged and you have the three-pronged and you have the socket and it just does not fit, you know. And later we all get adapters and somehow it does fit and it all, you know, some current runs through, and you all, you all have the same current. <laughs> Amy, you once said that when you were a teenager, you swore you'd have nothing to do with Chinese when you left home, that you were going to become completely American. And then in 1987, as an adult, you traveled to China with your mother, and you said, when my feet touch China... I became Chinese. I think at different stages of my life, there were parts of me that said, I don't want to be this. And when I was 17 and I could finally move away and be away from my mother and went to college, that was probably when I said, now I can I can be whoever I want to be, and that includes not being Chinese. Mm-hmm. It was an ongoing rejection. When I was, what was it, 35, and I first went to China Obviously, I I didn't suddenly become all Chinese. I couldn't speak Chinese. But it was that sense of connection, that I was Chinese, that I had a past, that I understood now where this had come from, all the things that my mother had inculcated in me and I had rejected and how some of it had still seeped in, and that was okay. It it was a completion that I hadn't felt before and that I was now, yes, I'm, I'm Chinese. I'm still American. There's a there's something about our identities that is a multiple of things, and I think there's a I think we all have a misunderstanding about ourselves that we are one or the other, uh, we're percentages of something, or we have to decide our identity will always be this one thing throughout our lives, when instead I think it's fluid. I became aware I was Chinese because all these things that had happened to me as I was growing up, the warnings of food I was eating, not questioning anything, and my sisters did that, and people telling you you're either way much more than you should or way too little, those kind of things, or your hair looks terrible. You know, <laughs> those things were definitely Chinese. Um, that They were, yeah, had a sense of family and, and not rudeness and not a kind of criticism, but a constant assessment that you were um, you were part of all the same family, and they could just tell you these things without insulting you in a certain way. I thought in the in the Joy Luck Club, part of what these mothers were trying to do was to toughen these daughters up, who really were in danger of living these soft American lives, and they felt it incumbent upon them to toughen them up before life did. And it's because they thought that they were not tough enough, that they had been 
It wasn't that they were protected. It was that they were ignorant. They were ignorant of how things could change them irrevocably, and they would be damaged and have no, no recourse for, for overcoming that damage. So in the instance of my mother, having been married off to this man, and she knew nothing about him. She didn't know he was a gambler, a cheat, that he was unfaithful, that he had lied about his credentials, his identity, that he was a coward, that he raped little girls, all those things that were so horrific. And she wanted to make sure that I was protected. And her way of doing that was to try and instill fear in me. And the way I responded was by rejecting all of it. I say all of it. I ostensibly rejected all of it to her face and um, made her angry that, that I was not listening to her. But it was. It was definitely inside of me. You know, I, I assessed people on, on the basis of things that she said. She made me aware of falseness in people. She would say to me, if everybody jumped off of a cliff just because they said it was good, would you jump off the cliff? You are that kind of person right now. You would jump off the cliff. You would not think of what the danger is. And and in the sense, I was. I was easily swayed by people who would say things. And today, I am still easily swayed uh, without thinking about it. What she reminded me to do was always to question and never to just take anything as absolute truth. Ask your own questions, and you may find that you come to the same conclusion, and that is your truth. But don't take it for granted. However, I think she wasn't quite as convinced that questioning her was a great idea. <laughs> yeah, there was one exception, you know, of course. You know, I I was the blank slate, and she was put, supposed to put everything in <laughs> my mind that was valuable. She, In fact, she said one time, how how could you have this thought? I haven't put it in your head. <laughs> you know, where did this come from? <laughs> you let your mind be too open and this, this terrible thing just seeped in there and I have to take it out. In your books, in all of them, in the Joy Luck Club, maybe most particularly, but I think this is true for all of your work, your attention to language is just exquisite. Beginning with the first page on the Joy Luck Club, when she can speak in perfect American English, I can hear that. I heard language. I, I saw that what I wanted to write were were not just fancy words, because I had tried to do that to show, you know, the, the reason why you do that is to, in my mind, was to show that you're smart and you can use convoluted sentences as well as anybody else. But Sentences have an impact, an, an impact of intent or emotion or both. And the way things sound also convey that intent and that meaning. So when you say perfect American English, it has a sense to it. In the Joy Luck Club, I also looked at ways I had to play with it in learning about voice, what that voice sounded like. People confuse voice with language and with the way that use diction and language. And it goes so much beyond that. You know, the language has to do with imagery, for example. The sentences may be short when something is an abrupt realization. The paragraph might end on a particular word, a particular unstressed or stressed consonant. And it's because it's the end or the partial end of a thought. 
all of that became apparent to me the more and more I wrote. And I also discovered that in voice, what determines voice is your particular observations, not your uh, observations as writer, although it is because you create that, the observations of the narrator, the narrator or the character. It's what they notice in life and how they say it. They could say it in an understated way. They could say it where it seems almost naive as to the truth of what they're saying. The observation is also the way the person thinks about the world. I have this notion that what I'm creating in a story is, in effect, my theory of the universe, my own Big Bang. How does the universe work? Is it created by, um, you know, an entity? Is it created by something random? How things work, you know, when you say, how did this happen? Why did this happen? How do I make things happen? These are big questions, and many people have different answers to that. My role is to take a character and go through all their circumstances, their feelings and beliefs, and come up with their own sense of how things happen. Now, in my mother's case, she believed in all of it. <laughs> you know, which is great for me as a writer because, you know, I'm not limited to randomness or I'm not limited to self-will or to, you know, luck or God's will. I can have all of it that it may seem contradictory, but our beliefs are based on what's important to us and what we feel. Um, and in that sense, it's not an argument of who's right and who's wrong. It's more an evidence of who we are as individuals and how specific our own stories are. What did your mother think about the Joy Luck Club? She was so proud. Even before it was published, she read the early draft, and she said to me at the very end, so easy to read. Now, that may seem like small praise because, um, you know, that she was commenting on simplicity. But in fact, what it meant was she had read it, and she found it easy to read, and there was nothing in there that made her clutch her heart and feel that I had done something terrible or that she hadn't understood. And later she did say something to me that made me understand completely that she understood. My mother used to get upset about many, many things, you know, slights from friends, or she would read into all kinds of things people said. And she would go on and on and on and dissect it from every angle. And I'd have to listen for hours to this, and it was torture. And she started to do this with um, something she inferred to be uh, an insult. And, and then all of a sudden she stopped. She says, I don't have to tell you because you understand. You're just like me. And that came from her reading the book, from her reading these mothers and these daughters and understanding implicitly what was going on. That is what that book meant to her. Mm. So I can't say, oh, she was proud, that's not enough, or she understood, or we had a reconciliation. It is to explain in all the different ways that she did understand. She was also a little miff that people thought that it was straight dictation, that somehow I'd taken everything from her life and just transcribed it, changed the names. She said that she felt that people weren't giving me credit for imagination. She knew what was true, True in the sense of the heart, not true in the sense of all the details that happen. The Joy Luck Club is a big read selection, and that must have been a great thrill for you. It takes me back to the time I was six years old, 
takes me back to the time I was 12 and I was reading and all the writers that were on the books were the on the on the spines of the books on the covers of the books and these were people who were amazing well they were dead too <laughs> most of the time but they were amazing people and they wrote these things and I was reading them and everybody everybody read them and knew who they were and and it took me back to that because the other works they had selected were many of the writers whose works I had read and it was it was amazing. I do have to say that I also knew the book was probably chosen because it was so much about families and that these days there are so many families whose parents, whose ancestors are from different countries. And this was a way to open that dialogue. So much about the big read is making reading relevant and that is not simply a private entertainment. It is something that enables us to enlarge our imaginations together and to understand that in reading, we have something in common now, and we can look at that and have common discussions. Not that we agree on everything. It's good to disagree. It's good to have uh, conversations, because in those disagreements and conversations, we tease out what might be misunderstandings and what our differences are and how good the differences are and maybe how, you know, it's going to create ongoing conflict. But at least we can see where it comes from. That's what I think the big read is about, that we we share things, we have conversations. We feel bound together as family, as community, as schools, as people who love to read. And let me just ask you finally, what have you learned about joy and luck? I've found that joy is the same as peace and hope and love. And it's a very strange thing that I never would have been able to define it that way. But when you experience something so holy and in a gestalt, in a in a story, and suddenly it hits you at all levels, that's what I discovered about joy. And luck is a gratitude. Luck is something that often happens, and then we see it, and we realize what it is. And it's a gratitude then when we recognize it. And by recognizing it, it's an amazing thing that more of it comes into your life. And you say, boy, I'm so lucky to have this friend. Or I'm so lucky that I live in this beautiful place and I notice the birds. You know, I'm so lucky to have these birds. And you notice it. It's an amazing thing about observation. And and in that way, I think that reading books of all kinds helps you to observe those things and helps you to realize how we do have joy in our lives and they come in different forms and not just the fuzzy ones but they can be the ones that your mother gives you that you want to reject for the early part of your life. Amy Tan, thank you so much. It was really a pleasure. Thank you. That was author Amy Tan. She was talking about her novel The Joy Luck Club which is a selection for the NEA's literary program, The Big Read. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. The music is Moon Reflected at the Pool of Erquan, performed by and used courtesy of Music from China. The Artworks podcast is posted every Thursday at www.arts.gov. Next week, we visit Washington, D.C.'s revitalized and swinging cultural mecca, U Street. To find out how art works in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. 
For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening.